Welcome to The Daily Bite with your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we continue our study of the book of Amos with chapter 2. Thus says Yahweh, For three transgressions of Moab and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because he burned to lime the bones of the king of Edom. So I will send a fire upon Moab, and it shall devour the strongholds of Kerioth, and Moab shall die amid uproar, amid shouting and the sound of the trumpet. I will cut off the ruler from its midst, and will kill all its princes with him, says Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they have rejected the law of Yahweh, and have not kept his statutes, but their lies have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. So I will send a fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. Thus says Yahweh, For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted, a man and his father go into the same girl, so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge, and in the house of their God they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars, and who was as strong as the oaks. I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath. Also it was I who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and led you forty years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. And I raised up some of your sons for prophets, and some of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not indeed so, O people of Israel? declares Yahweh. But you made the Nazarites drink wine, and commanded the prophets, saying, You shall not prophesy. Behold, I will press you down in your place, as a cart full of sheaves presses down. Flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not retain his strength, nor shall the mighty save his life. He who handles the bow shall not stand, and he who is swift of foot shall not save himself, nor shall he who rides the horse save his life. And he who is stout of heart among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, declares Yahweh. This is the word of the Lord. So we continue our pattern of God announcing his judgment upon the various nations and what we see here in the text today, uh, really the sixth, the seventh, and the eighth of those declared judgments of the Lord. So we started yesterday, let me pull out that paper again, we started with Damascus, Syria, which is up to the north. And then we came down along the Mediterranean Sea quite a ways to come all the way to Philistia in the southwest of, of Judah. Then we doubled back in between the two of them for the, the land of Tyre. We came down south underneath the Salt Sea to Edom, and then we moved east of the Jordan River to the Ammonites. And now today we start in chapter 2 by moving south of the Ammonites. Southeast of the Salt Sea is where you would find the land of Moab. And the pattern continues. We have for three transgressions or for four. That means the Lord is not, the Lord is not judging them because they had one transgression, right? Their transgression is ongoing. And in this sense, it's not even an individual, but it's a nation. 
that is committing sin again and again against the Lord, rebelling against Yahweh, the God of all men. And so because they are not repentant, the Lord will not remove his judgment, his punishment from upon them. And instead, he will send a fire. We compare that idea of fire with God's judgment, his destruction. We think of New Testament era, right? We think of hell uh, and the eternal punishment of hell. And then it will devour strongholds that the, the strength of men cannot stand before the Lord. So that's the, the pattern. And we see it for numbers six and seven, for Moab and then for Judah. We break the pattern on the final judgment against Israel. So we'll come back to that. That's going to get the bulk of the chapter here today. But Moab first, so southeast of the Salt Sea, what is their, what is their transgression against God? He burned to lime the bones of the king of Edom. That's the sin that's mentioned about Moab. And so what's going on here? This is the idea that Moab has fought against Edom, but victory wasn't enough. Even slaying his enemy was not enough. After killing the king of Edom, he took his bones and he burned them. We would probably say burned to ash, burned down to lime. So there's pretty much nothing left. Burning even the bones of your fallen enemy. There's shame here. That there's something wrong with this. And that's a caution for the church today. A lot of Christians these days uh, don't see any issue with cremation. And as as the church, we don't set laws against such thing. Well, we don't place a law where God's word has not placed a law. But I would, again, urge caution. There's nothing in Scripture that talks about the burning of one's body being good. Some of the earliest uses of cremation among the Christians were actually by enemies. They were killing Christians. They were burning their bodies and seeing, saying, let's see if your God can raise that. To which we say quite boldly and confidently, okay, he can, he will. And that's our hope in the resurrection, that the Lord can put even ashes back together again. But that doesn't make it a good practice for us to willingly do. The practice of burial shows a care and a concern for the body. It shows the idea that we're going to to care for this thing as we gently lay it to rest in the ground because it's not just disposable. It's not just garbage that is going to be tossed away. It's going to be raised. And so let's care for this body even after the point of death. That's the thing to focus on. How do we care for the body? How do we give a message to the world around us that we believe in a resurrection. So as you have a funeral for a loved one, how do you communicate the resurrection that day to them, to those who grieve, but also to your your friends and your family who gather to support you? I mean, celebrations of life just don't cut it. And that's the common mantra of our day. So finding ways to encourage, encourage people to consider that there is something that comes next. All right, so Moab is destroyed, devoured. Uh, Kerioth is the capital, perhaps uh, the major city of, of Moab. It is where you would find the, the primary shrine to their false god, Kamash, that they worshipped. And so they are not only destroyed here, they're cut off. The ruler, the king of Moab, cut off, and with him all of his princes— In other words, it's the end of the line for them. 
Just as they uprooted their enemy and burned even the bones, leaving nothing left, so the Lord is going to do in his judgment of them. He is going to so thoroughly destroy this people that there will be none left. That's the picture. And then we turn to Judah. Judah is God's people, right? The southern nation of the two nations of God's people. Jerusalem is the capital, so well known throughout the history of the church. Old Testament and new alike. So Judah's seventh on the list of God's judgment in the book of Amos. They too uh, have that pattern, transgressions for three or four, not revoking the punishment. What is their sin? They have rejected Yahweh's law. They've not kept his statutes, but they've gone astray. They were warned time and time and time again. It's not hard to find references in the Old Testament warning them uh, to keep the Lord's commandment. I mean, the even in the commandments, right? The fourth commandment, uh, honor your father and mother so that you shall live long in the land is an example. Deuteronomy chapter 28, the curses that would befall them if they don't keep God's word. It just, it's over and over again. And yet they still fell into sin. The Lord kept this word. And even though this is the middle of the 700s BC, not quite 200 years later, the Lord indeed will send a fire upon Judah in the form of the Babylonian army, and it will devour the strongholds of Jerusalem, tearing them to the ground, destroying even the temple and carrying it off back to Babylon. That's 587 BC. Now, the Lord's judgment is firm, and that causes us to to wonder exactly what has God warned us, right? If, If the Lord warned Judah and Judah didn't listen and Judah was punished, what warning has he given to us? We today follow what we call the Ten Commandments. We know that's God's law. That's how he wishes for his people to live. That's how he designed us to live in this place. And so we are to follow those things. We are to love the Lord our God, love our neighbors ourselves. Those are the summation of the Ten Commandments into those two by Jesus himself in the Gospel of, well, it shows up at least in Matthew and Luke, probably Mark as well. It's a theme that you see throughout the New Testament. There are other things like bearing one another's burdens. On the warning side of things, though, the warning primarily of the New Testament is to not fall away. The warning of the New Testament is that you have all good things in Christ. Don't abandon it. Don't shipwreck your faith, as Paul will will speak of some of the brothers who shipwrecked their faith and thus are no longer part of the church. So that's our warning. Um, Don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. That is, don't reject the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit who creates faith in us. It's the Spirit who brings us to repent. So even though we sin, even though we we would speak against the name of Jesus sometimes in our lives as Christians. Yet there is forgiveness of sins. Yet there is grace and mercy and salvation. The warning is to remain in that church, in his church. Remain the bride. Brides aren't perfect, right? We've made mistakes. We will sin again unless Christ first returns. But we place our trust and our hope in him. All right, that brings us to the eighth 
judgment, the judgment against Israel. That's going to be your primary notion of this book, Israel the Focus, because again, we're in the mid-700s B.C., and 722 B.C. is the date of destruction, when Assyria will destroy the northern kingdom of Israel. It's a siege that begins in 725, if I recall correctly, and lasts for a little over two years. It is the eighth judgment. It's also the longest of the section of judgments, uh, easily more than twice the length of these other ones. It starts the same, for three transgressions or for four, I will not revoke the punishment. But if you look your way through it, what's missing? The fire and the destruction of strongholds. Those are not mentioned here in this part. Instead, we have a list of their sins, followed by what the Lord will do. Well, actually, what the Lord has done, and then what he will do. So what have they done? What is, what's on the list of their sins? They sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. So imagine taking a, a friend, someone in your church that you care about, and selling them off into slavery. Imagine taking uh, the homeless person on the street and, and selling them off into slavery instead of giving them shoes for their feet. Right? This picture is they don't care for those who need care. We're not put here to care for ourselves. We're put here to care for one another, to care for God's creation. And specifically, the Old Testament church has been given the task of caring for the widows, the orphans, the sojourners among them, caring for the poor in their midst. And we see those specifically not cared for here. The needy, uh, they trample the head of the poor. They turn aside the afflicted, not helping those in need. And then we have the sixth commandment broken in 7b, right? A man and his father go into the same girl, expressly forbidden in the Old Testament, right? The, the idea that a, a father would have sex with a woman and that that man's son would also have sex with the same woman. That's an offense to God. The son is uncovering his father's nakedness, to use Leviticus 18 language there. It's not good. This is what we see as a problem going on in 1 Corinthians. They have that issue in their congregation. This is what Reuben did that got Jacob so upset with him. And cost him the right of firstborn in the book of Genesis. Then they laid themselves down beside every altar. That's a symbol of their idolatry right there because the altar should just be at Jerusalem. But they have made their own altars because they were afraid that if they sent anyone down to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, to worship Yahweh, they wouldn't come back. So they built altars to false gods in the cities of Dan to the north and Bethel in the south. They established two golden calves in those places, but they also have created other altars to worship at. So great idolatry among them. So they lay down, they sleep beside those altars on garments taken in pledge. It was common to take a garment in pledge, basically collateral, uh, against a loan for the day or someone's debt. But when you did so, you were not to keep that person's cloak overnight. It's their garment. They need it to sleep in when it gets chilly in the night. It's not caring for those who are in need of care. 
And so they're keeping the garment instead of returning it, and they're using it as a blanket and sleeping on it at night. So that's wrong to do. And then in the house of their God, they drink. So the ESV capitalizes God there. I wouldn't, as I translate this myself, I mean, the word God in Hebrew, ale, um, Hebrew doesn't use capital in lowercase letters, so this isn't an Eng- this is an English only distinction being made. They're not worshiping Yahweh, right? And that's the problem here. So this is their god is their pagan god, whoever they're worshiping. Like the Moabites were worshiping Kamash, or the Canaanites worshiped Baal. That's the issue. I mean, this might well be Baal that they're worshiping. And it was common for for the Israelites to do, and they find people for for whatever false practice they broke right so you've got your made-up god so you've got your made-up rules for this made-up god people transgress these made-up rules and these israelite priests are charging them finding them wine and then they're using it to get drunk in the in the alt around the altars of their false god that's the picture not a pretty sight that the israelites have committed and then we, sh- we shift gears here yahweh reminds them who he is and what he's done for them he destroyed the amorite the list is shortened here, right? The Canaanite, Amorite, Hittite, Perizzite, Jebusite, Girgashite, uh, Hivite. God drove all those from the promised land before them. Even though when the spies in Numbers chapter 13 had gone up and visited the promised land and came back, they gave the report and said they're like giants. God defeated them for his people. And not only defeated them, destroyed the fruit above and the roots beneath. Imagine the tree, right? To destroy the fruit above, to destroy any fruit on it, to destroy the leaves on it. But not just that, to actually destroy the roots underneath too. What's going to happen to that tree? It'll perish. The Lord destroyed all of them. He brought them up out of Egypt. He led them for 40 years in the wilderness. He gave them the promised land. He made some of their children into prophets who would share God's word with them. He made some of them Nazarites which is a special vow that someone makes to serve Yahweh for a specific period of time. You can read about the Nazarite vow in Numbers chapter 6. But they force the Nazarites to drink wine, which was forbidden. That breaks the Nazarite vow. Not a good thing. And they told the prophets, you shall not prophesy. This is a spot to stop and talk to your children in the text today. When they were told not to prophesy, what should the prophets have done? Should they have stopped prophesying? Should they have stopped speaking God's word? The answer to that is no. They keep on prophesying, and they did, uh, some of them to their death. And the question then can get pushed further. What about you? If the world says, don't tell us about Jesus, we don't want to hear about that stuff, what should you do? And the answer is the same. We press on. We talk about Christ. We share Christ with those who need to know him, because if they don't know him, they're going to perish forever. We want them to have that, that forgiveness, that life that we have. We want to share that with them. Then comes God's judgment here for the Israelite. He's going to press them down in their place. So uh, it's the picture of like packing brown sugar down into your measuring cup as you get ready to cook. It's stuck there, right? It's not going anywhere. They are not going to be able to flee. They're going to get pinned down and destroyed. And that's, again, what you see in 722 with the Assyrian army. So the, the flight will perish from the swift, so they won't be able to run away. The strong will have no strength. Why? Because the Lord is our strength. Isaiah 12, verse 2, Yahweh, 
God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. They don't have him, so they have no strength. He who handles the bow, so their archers cannot fight. He who is swift of foot, so their spies or their scouts perhaps won't be able to do anything. Nor he who rides the horse save his life. Israel didn't really have a lot of horsemen. They didn't have a lot of horses, period. Um, But that's a, a stronger fighter than just a foot soldier. And they're out of those too. He who is stout of heart among the mighty. So even the greatest of the great, right? The mighty among the mighty? Flee away naked on that day. God's judgment will come upon him and he will be put to shame. We pray that the Lord does not put us to shame. But instead, as we were talking about that forgiveness, that love of Jesus Christ, that we would be led to repent of our idolatries in our life. So have a good conversation, a good prayer, um, that the, the Spirit would help you to repent always. And where there are idols in your life, that the Spirit would help you to turn from them. And that if you're stuck in those, that the Spirit would strike down your idols, that you may not be lost along with them, that you may be forgiven and saved. In Jesus' name. Amen.